Hi, this is singer-songwriter Elizabeth Edwards. Welcome to Giving Voice to Recovery, a place we share ideas and experience for the purpose of inspiring you on your recovery journey. I am so glad you've joined me for this series of conversations with my dear friend, Christina Wanzelak. You may know Christina from her book, The Lost Years, her work on TLC's groundbreaking show, Addicted, or her television docuseries, Codependent, which premiered on Lifetime and A&E. Christina is credited with helping thousands of addicts and their families through her work as an international interventionist and now joins me in a series of conversations about life, recovery, and coffee. Welcome to Coffee with Christina. Hi there. How are you? I was just going to welcome everybody to Coffee with Christina. Do you have your coffee, Christina? I do. My fancy yeah. new mug. Ooh. circle mug. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> oh, ooh, I want one of those. Yeah, maybe I'll send you one. You have a little swag. <laughs> oh, cool. No, I love it. Yeah, just drinking my Christmas cup this morning. Um, going into uh, to uh, the holiday season. But before um, we get too far into this, you know, last time we talked, Christina, we talked about the definition of abstinence. And I think that's a fascinating subject. And I I really want to get your take on that. And I understand that somebody's written in a a really interesting Mm -hmm. question about that. Yeah, before we get to the question, I think it's a really great question to ask. And I think it is not actually asked enough. I think there's an assumption that abstinence is a shared view from people in recovery. And I, I have come through my own exploration and my own work that actually I was really surprised to see that not everyone views abstinence as being abstinent from all mind and mood altering substances, which is my definition of abstinence outside of psychotropic medications. Mm-hmm. Of course, mm-hmm. uh, when you're working with a psychiatrist, I believe wholeheartedly in supportive medication. Um, when you say supportive regard. medication, are you talking about mental health? Just yes, for clarity. Sir. Yes, yes. What about Sorry. medically, uh, like medical assisted treatment for opioid withdrawal, that kind of thing? That's all done through yeah. ASAM. There's a lot of literature out there. Yeah, it's a great question. And um, I will say that I, no, I also support medicated assisted treatment. Yeah, I do too. I think the evidence is overwhelming from what I've Mm -hmm. read. And I, but underlying that, um, and I know you and I both share this value is really that honesty with a, a medical professional who specializes in those very things. Right. I mean, that's really, no. No, you know, I just was thinking, I think this is where the topic gets really interesting, right? Because Mm -hmm. I do, I believe that medicated assisted treatment, such as Suboxone, Mm -hmm. has saved lives, countless of lives. Yes. Um, And I think it's helped mitigate relapse in regards to opiates. Yes. I also... Mm-mm. this is how I also see it. And I'm trying to keep kind of any strong opinion out of the way, but this is what I see in my work. That um, at times for a large majority of men and women that mm-hmm. are on, you know, medicated assisted treatment medications, um, it can be a compromise. 
Yes. It's a compromise of true abstinence. So in other words, it, it's like harm reduction. Mm -hmm. And there are men and women that take those, you know, that are on long-term managed, medication managed recovery, basically, uh, with great success. And they're super motivated in treatment and lots of, you know, lots of things. And they have, um, they go to 12-step meetings and have sponsors and they're really living lives of recovery. And then there's a population that use that medication as a compromise, more as harm reduction. And so I, I do think that there's, there's a, a you know, a, 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 whatever, you know, a, a sub, a subgroup that uses, uh, that manipulates those medications. And I don't just mean in regards to being high, but in regards to active addiction. Yes. Yeah? So opiate addicts will manipulate medications like that to, you know, to come off of opiates so that their tolerance goes down and then they can use more. Does that make sense? So yes. I'm not talking about active addiction uh, using those medications in regards to active addiction, but in recovery, there are, there is a group of people that take those medications and use it more as harm reduction, as a holding place, as a time, if yeah. that makes sense. You know what I I've seen in those. So, so I've been doing this work long enough. I remember the days when that, that medication wasn't available. Mm -hmm. Sorry. I'm trying to get my point across quickly. And maybe I'm trying to keep it politically correct also. But um, so this is what I've seen those medications do, right? That there is a gift in desperation, right? It's what brought you to the rooms. Yep. It's what brought me to recovery, right? On my hands and knees, really begging for mercy. I got sober for freedom from that despair. I got sober from freedom from that incredible pain that addiction unleashed on my life. And I fought hard for every second I had sober. I fought hard for it. It's absolutely nothing short of a miracle that I'm still sober today. And what I have seen with some of those medications, yes, is mm -hmm. that kind of that gaping hole that we crawl in the rooms with is suddenly and quickly filled. Mm -hmm. And so it seems to damper that sense of desperation. And there's, um, there's a certain kind of recovery that comes with that. Yeah, it, it I, I can agree with you more. And I think does that make sense? Yeah, it does. It, and there is a political side to all of this. And there is also, and it, it, it gets very complicated, very fast, because there's, that is true. It's a paradox. That's that right. is very true. I've seen that. And there's a whole lot of people who have gone through what we've gone through to be clean and sober and completely abstinent off of it, like all at one time, which actually, you know, there's a lot more sophisticated chemistry out there altogether. I've seen people get strung out on Suboxone forever and ever and ever. And their goal was to be absent, but I've also seen people not make it because they didn't have medical. Correct. So it, that's the problem. I think that's why I guess when we start talking about this is it came back down to, for me, 
why I feel so strongly about more awareness about what's needed around ASAM. Now the ASAM doctors are looking at research and they're looking at the numbers and they're looking at the broad picture. I still believe we really have to meet people where they are. I do believe that you have to meet people where they are with this. If it's, is, is a marijuana edible better than an opioid for pain? Um, you know, everyone, it's like, what are you addicted to? I was never addicted to opiates, so I don't know. I know people who were and couldn't get off of them and then were successful with medically treated, uh, medical assisted treatments. I also know people who got strung out on Suboxone and didn't make it because they were chronically low level depressed working the system still and never could get out of the mindset of that addiction. I need something out there to fix what's in here. What's underlying all of this? I think that's the real question. What's the underlying problem that being on that life is so difficult that I have to be on a drug? Is it a physical thing? Is it a mental, emotional thing? What is it? What's underlying Mm -hmm. addiction? I think that's where we really get into the cross between what is abstinence and what is sobriety. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, and I do think there's a difference between abstinence and recovery. Where so, so uh, well, uh, let me explain. So, and, and I think the, the people that, and I've worked with hundreds of clients on Suboxone, of course, as you might imagine. And again, truth be told, Elizabeth, if it were my kid, I'd rather my, my son be on Suboxone than dead, right? And that's what it does. It saves lives yes. in regards to opiate and, you know, fentanyl and uh, Oxycontin and all the terrible overdoses we say we see. So, of course, it's, it's a compromise and it's one that any, every single family I've had in my office would happily take. Yeah. Um, the, the people I've seen most success in regards to Suboxone, first of all, it's a fantastic medication for detox, which is what it was always meant for. And now mm-hmm. people are on it long-term. The, the successes, the long-term recovery, the best success I've seen with men and women in regards to long-term abstinence and recovery has been when they have a plan of withdrawal, you know, a plan to come off Suboxone, whether that's a year or two, right? So a lot of my young clients will be, the commitment is to be on Suboxone for a year Mm -hmm. and to get their recovery, their foundation really cemented in 12 steps and, you know, through typically the 12 steps and having a great sponsor, you know, really having a strong community before they begin to come off Suboxone and then do it very, very slowly. I've had a client that it took a year to get off of it and another client that took two full years to get off of it right so but but that's where i've seen the best and that's how i see it used most beautifully as opposed to the mindset of being on it forever let's say right like forever um so that's where i see it i think abstinence is about yeah like i said being um abstinent from all mind and mood altering substances and outside of the medications that we've been speaking of and then mm-hmm. antidepressants, mood stabilizers, these things. Um, and, but I do believe recovery, right? It's not abstinence is just without, and I yes. think recovery is within, right? It's, yes. it's That's recovery, be, right? It's what we do. It's what we do when we're without 
right? It's a spiritual awakening of some sort. You know, I, I think that's how reco recovery is. It's living different, being different, changing who we are, healing ourselves, our families, making amends to the community, to the world, you know, doing good in the world. I, I think that's what recovery is, not hovering without. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think recovery is in all of those things. I, I always say it like this. They recover, recovery for addiction. Addiction is a soul sickness and recovery. The only for me, there has to be a spiritual. And I mean that in the broadest sense yes. of the word human spirit, your human spirit is the recovery of that, because that's what's depleted in you when you're using and you're, and you're degrading yourself and you're damaging yourself, but something happened usually before. So there's treatment, there, there's all kinds of things that need to happen for, to, for that person to have that paradigm shift because recovery is a full identity shift, I believe, and an emotional, mental, spiritual shift. And that can start to happen, I think, when there's these other medications that support. But if that's, and, and I'm not a doctor, so I'm not giving any kind of medical advice and neither is Christina. We're saying what we've seen, right? We're saying what we have seen work and what we've seen not work as well, which is the forever plan on other substances. Right. To me, that's like what, you know, what the marijuana maintenance program instead. And I have no judgment about it. I just, in terms of like what somebody should or shouldn't do like you, I'm saying what I've seen and to really have that full spiritual rebirth, basically out of the ashes, the Phoenix rising thing that comes from, I think being fully whole. Does everybody have the ability to be that way? I don't know. That's the individual non cookie cutter. Approach. Right. Let's look at this question and I'm gonna, I'll email this lady woman. So out of Cleveland, the question is, and I think it's a great one, of course, and one, I don't know about you, Elizabeth, but I hear now more and more and more and more in my life, in my work. Yeah. So the question is, okay, addict, four years sober. Drug addict, opiate addict, alcoholic, four years sober, but is now using medical marijuana. I know that they truly have pain, mm -hmm. broken hips and three hip surgeries, but at the same time, seems to take a lot of edibles. That's in capital. So mm -hmm. I assume a lot means a lot. Mm -hmm. I worry, I worry about her to me it should be used more to knock the pain level down, not to get impaired. So it sounds like she's seeing her friend impaired. Uh, but, but then how else is she supposed to control her pain without using narcotics? And I don't really know what to say or if I should say anything. So any help would be greatly appreciated, but also understandable if this isn't the type of question you were looking for. This is exactly the type of question I was looking for and happy to discuss it. Great question. I see it now more and more, especially out here in California. I don't know, because marijuana is legal. Is it legal everywhere? Is that a dumb question? <laughs> I don't know. Like, is it so everywhere here? Yeah, I think it's I mean, practically. I mean, yeah. my office is three blocks from, you know, a dispensary. Mm -hmm. It's so, so crazy. And it's so crazy to me that, you know, young people, I don't know, it's easier to get 
marijuana than it is alcohol. But anyway, so great question, great question. So legitimate pain and sober and the edibles help. I, that's a good question. What are your thoughts, Elizabeth? Um, I am a strong believer in that a couple things. It's an inside job. Recovery is an inside job. Nobody from the outside can actually determine that for another person. Um, medical professionals and therapists and stuff can really help you look at that. I also think people in 12 step programs can help you look at yourself. I think all those resources, but unless somebody is willing to really get honest with themselves about what they're doing and why they're doing it, then nobody else's opinion actually matters. But if you love and care about somebody, um, I would, I would say is, how is that a problem for you as the friend or the parent and look at the problems that it's causing for you because that is where you have power that is where you can connect now if you still love this person and they're not it's not injuring the relationship it's probably altering the relationship if you if i put my mind reading hat on i would say am i still willing to be in this relationship because i think a person has to come to their own terms with the drug. This is coming from a friend. I'm asking the friend who sent the question, how is this a problem for you? I know that's hard, but that's the only place you actually really have any power. And then to be supportive and not, if you love that person, you don't want to alienate them. Help let be there for when they come to terms with it. And then when there's an opportunity to speak truth, I, I put it out there as a question. Have, you know, I would put it out as a question. If there's an opportunity, listen to your intuition. And if it guides you to say, wow, is that, do you think that's actually helping you? Is it helping you? Is there another better way? Is, is that working for you? And if it's working for them, there's not much you can do. I know you're an interventionist, so I'm really actually interested in what you have to say. I work on my codependency issues all the time, coming from the codependency side of things. So I'm looking at, okay, how's it a problem for me? Do I still love this person? Is it changing the relationship to the point where I don't want to have the relationship anymore? I'd be looking at that. Or if it's somebody that I do want to have the relationship with is how can I accept them? Because a level of love and acceptance opens up honest conversation and elicit that information from the other person. Is this working? Is it not working? What, if it's not working, why do you need it? If it is working, how is it, you know, if there, if it's not a problem, it's not a problem. You can't make somebody else think it's a problem. You might be able to. So that's what I want to hear from you, but that's where I would come from. Yeah. Um, I think all of that is it's tricky, it's really accurate, but you know, it's accurate, right? That eventually it just, it comes down to relationship. I don't, this is what I think. So I'll answer it, I guess, from a per, personal perspective and professional perspective. So from a pr professional perspective and intervention, I've seen cannabis, edibles, gummies ruin lives. Mm -hmm. I just recently worked with a woman who, um, I just worked with a woman who, by the way, is a very public figure, uh, entertainer, 
and had like 45 years sober. Mm. And her career was not based around sobriety, but you know, her, just the backstory is 45 mm -hmm. years sober. And during COVID, COVID hit and all her entertaining stopped, right? Hollywood shut down, speaking engagements shut down. Yep. And she started taking cannabis only for mm -hmm. pain and just pain from traveling all over the world for so many years and you know, discomforts. She started taking gummies, just cannabis. I mean, excuse me, CBD. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, and, and it went into THC until she was completely eating edibles all day long, completely out of her mind, a total shut in in her house. COVID, she just set fire with mad addiction um, and ended up asking for help and going to treatment. Mm -hmm for cannabis only. Yeah? I know that sounds weird, but like she never, her drug of choice was opiates, heroin. Many, many years ago, crazy homeless heroin addict on the street, 45 years clean and sober and mm. went to residential treatment just for gummies. So she would tell you bullshit, they're not mm. addictive and yeah. bullshit, right? Like if you're an addict, the way I'm an addict, you will smoke. Oh. <laughs> You know, you will smoke, eat, or, you know, snort your way into addiction given the opportunity. Oh, absolutely. So, right? Gummies are not, yeah. yeah. Anyone that says otherwise is, is, is not yeah. an addict, right? So, um, <laughs> you know, and just given enough time. I mean, that was her point. It didn't happen right away, right? Like she would say, I'm a heroin addict. Eating gummies was not my deal, right? It helped with my pain. It did help with my sleep. It did help with the anxiety. And then it just, it just started, right? Just that insidious until she just was gobbling them all day, yeah. right? So I, I guess that's where I see it from my work. So is taking gummies better than narcotics? Of course, of course. And I think maybe there is a place for edibles and pain under the right circumstances managed by a physician, but not the way that people hide behind that today, right? Being yeah. managed by a physician is not going down to, you know, the dispensary or, you know, multiple times a day, multiple times a week, buying whatever you want, as much as you want, taking it as much as you want. Does that and make it stays, sense? And it stays in your system for a long time. I mean, uh, that's right. THC stays in your system for like 30 days, at least. That's right. I, and, and, and I, it's, so it's a bio, bioengineered substance. Yes, it is. It is not weed, right? So this it's is not like, it's not like 1960s pot. It's like a thousand. That's right. That's right. So, so I, I think maybe sure that there might be a place. And although I don't, I do not think we've gotten there yet. I, I don't think we've learned how to prescribe cannabis and keep it um, monitored. I think that's total bullshit. So what that means is a doctor says, yeah, you know, maybe it'll help try it, right? It's not like an actual, you know, prescription, take this amount at this amount of time, you know, every six hours, that's fucking bullshit. So it's just, 
addicts and recovery for sure, just trying to navigate this minefield. So I think that there's some danger there. I think to this particular person that asked this question, I can't agree with you more, Elizabeth. You know, what it comes down to is how is, is your friend's cannabis use affecting your relationship, right? I've had this happen, by the way, with women and men that I've known. I've been sober 28 years and I've had dear friends in this program yeah. that have equal amount of time uh, go to, to yep. using cannabis for anxiety or sleep or things like this. And I, I will tell you this, and some people use it just at night and whatever, but I will tell you this, that when I am sitting in front of a man or a woman that I have known and loved for 28 years, that has been clean and sober, aware and awake, it is, it disturbs me and it hurts me because I can see it. Yeah. Like yeah. I see it in their eyes. It's like suddenly they're glazed yeah. over and bullshit. It doesn't affect connection. Yeah. Bullshit. It doesn't interfere. I don't buy that at all. Cause I see yeah, it, no, it right? with my things. own eyes. Yeah. And that's, and I have said to friends, like I have no judgment as a sober woman. Yeah. That, I mean, whatever. Like, eat yourself silly, I guess, but, but I don't want to be around it because it hurts my heart. It hurts my heart, right? That mm -hmm. I can't connect with you. So when you're under the influence of that substance, as I see it, right, mm -hmm. you call it medication, I'll call it substance. While you're under the influence of that, I don't, I might as well be talking to a wall. So exactly. You know I mean, so like, call me when you're not on it. And I'm happy to chill with you. You know what I mean? But while and the you're problem on with, it, I'm and, and the problem with marijuana is that it stays so long, it really affects personality for a while. But it, it gets back to that powerlessness over somebody else's choices. And I think that's where and, and to stay if, if you really truly care about them, and you think that it's a destructive substance, not a constructive solution. I think that's if you want to stay in that place of loving non-judgment, but bring your own feelings to the conversation, like what you just said, beautifully right. said, and that I've had that very same experience. So what is it that is so unpleasant in life that makes you feel like you need a substance to make life palatable? That's the real question underneath all of this. That's what needs to be treated. That's what needs to be recovered is that wholeness of spirit, that wholeness of body. And I'm not a doctor, so I'm not going to tell you what to take or not to take, but I am going to ask the question, what's, what's so hard. And I'm not saying that like, what's so hard. I'm saying what's difficult about being sober. Mm -hmm. What's difficult. You know, and I, I know we have to wrap here, but I also, you know, I'll say also that I, you know, just another perspective. I have a, a sponsee uh, that I've been working with for 20 years and she has um, severe chronic pain. Mm -hmm. um, she yes. has lupus and it's extraordinarily painful yeah. and she's an opiate addict, hardcore. And um, she has fought all these years, two decades to stay off opiates that's what the doctors you know finally you know when you when you get to kind of end stage disease mm -hmm. of course right like they that's they just they want they, they just want to help her be comfortable mm 
mm-hmm. in her mind, right? She's lived sober and doesn't want to be disconnected from the people that she loves most, no matter how long she has on this planet. Yeah. And uh, once, so opiates were out. The other solution that the doctors gave her was Suboxone for pain. Mm-hmm. And she said, as somebody, as a opiate addict who used methadone before they had Suboxone many years ago, she had zero tolerance. I'm not doing that. Not going on. So the last, right, what they approached her with was, you know, the only way to alleviate your pain and to help you sleep and function and move, right? Um, And enjoy the days you have. Uh, Have you considered cannabis? And uh, we talked about it a lot. And she prayed about it and talked you know, she did her thing that we do, you know, trying to make hard decisions and recovery. And she Mm -hmm. came to, um, to the understanding that, yeah, she was going to try it for sleep. And for her, it changed her, it changed her life. Mm -hmm. It changed her life because she can sleep. And I don't know about any of you out there that have had trouble sleeping, but it's a torture like no other, right? So that chronic pain keeping her awake. So Mm -hmm. she does, she takes an edible every night, but this is how she does it. She, she actually journals about it first, right? And she gets mm-hmm. really clear with herself. Am mm-hmm. I taking this for pain? Am I in legitimate pain, right? Pain that I can't manage without? Or am I taking it as habit, mm-hmm. right? Am I taking it because it's comfortable? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. So I really appreciate that about her journey is before she puts it in her body, she really, really gets honest with herself like is tonight a night where the pain is so unbearable i'm not going to be able to sleep and if so i'm going to take this edible and if not if i can manage the pain with tylenol or whatever then that's what i'm going to do so i really that's how she does it yeah she Mm -hmm. and doesn't take it during the day she's just very aware And I think that's, you know, we're talking about, and, and, you know, I know we need to kind of wrap this up, but I want to just a couple takeaways here. We're talking about substance use disorder. Okay. Substance use isn't the problem. Substance use disorder. It's when you're doing it for the wrong reason. And that's, that really is why this is a complicated subject. I really, I honestly have seen enough I've seen what you're talking about. I've seen exactly what you're talking about. People who go into it thinking, like not really thinking about it, just kind of like looking for that subconsciously looking for that escape. And then boom, they're over here and and they're in full relapse. I've also seen people use it in a way that was the best choice for their circumstances. People use it. And this isn't just with marijuana. This isn't just with Suboxone. I've seen this with other other drugs as well. There's different things that help people get where they need to go. So it gets back to that basic motivation and is the goal to be the best that I can be, or am I trying to escape my life? Am I trying Mm -hmm. to avoid and hide? Those are the two questions. And if you stick for the lady who asked the question as the friend, let's say, I love this friend. I want to stay available, work on you take care of you always first thing oxygen mask on you first. And then when you go, go with an open heart and ask questions. That's what I've learned has worked. And when you ask questions and you provide support, you keep it open. That that's my take on it. But 
lots of lots of good juicy questions around this. There's, yeah, I know it's yeah. so good. And always, so good. always, you know, find the there are some wonderful medical professionals who can help you dissect your particular case. And we want to find the ones that really know what they're doing. That's the big, That's the right. big thing there. Yeah. Really find the ones who know what they're doing because we can trick them as addicts and alcoholics. <laughs> and thank you for the question. It was a good one. Very good question. Thank um, you so much, Christina. You're welcome. I will talk to you next week. Okay. Keep All right. Bye-bye. Bye.